we are continuing our series this morning called Shift, and uh, we are looking at this key passage of Scripture. If you missed uh, last, last week's sermon, the kind of part one of these, because these are really tied together, it's recorded, we'll have it online, and uh, you can go back and listen to it if you want to, but basically we are in this passage of Scripture that is this very transitional passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and uh, it's really a pivotal passage in the New Testament because it goes from kind of the, the stories of Christ and uh, who he was and what he did, and even the theology of Christ, which is the first part of Romans, uh, to we transition to where it says, therefore, and it's this hinge verse that shifts us to now, how does this impact our life today? All right, so we we love these stories of Christ, we love learning the theology, but you know what, it actually should impact our life today, how we walk, how we talk, how we interact with people, and that's what these two verses do. They create this shift in our life from what we once thought to a new way of thinking. And last week we talked about it, that if we don't learn to shift in our lives, then we grow stagnant and stale and we stop growing and eventually death comes. I mean, I as I went to do an annual physical and checkup every year, one of the things the doctor says is, as you get older, you have to move more because if you don't, your body will grow stiff and stagnant and you will break easier. And I'm like, thanks for the good news, doctor. I, I appreciate that. But it, it's this idea of just keep moving, keep shifting, keep growing to stay healthy. And, and we talked about, look, if, if, what if you never shifted once you got married? And like you were married, but you still acted like a bachelor. Or you went to college and you still acted like a middle school student. Or you had kids and you became a parent, but you acted like you didn't have kids. I mean, that, that wouldn't make sense. And the idea of in our Christian life, we have to make these shifts as well. That this Christian life is not just this new label that we put on, this new set of rules to follow, just some new mantra to embrace. That is actually this deep, deep internal shift in our life. It changes who we are, whose we are, how we view the world, how we engage the world, how we view ourselves, how we view others, how we perceive God, how we submit to God, how we understand forgiveness, how we demonstrate love, how we view our past, our present, and our future, how we think, how we feel, how we react, how we respond, how we operate at our very core. It's a shift in our whole perspective. It's not just a new label that I wear. And that's what we talked about last week is that we had initially have this shift in understanding where salvation comes from. I, I, as again, I said, most of you last week, I, I know I even came from somewhat of this background where I was somewhat taught it was still kind of up to me to make myself right to God. And it was this idea, this is where we camped on last week, is when in chapter 12, verse 1, that it says, You know, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The key thing we said last week is this. It's not up to us to make ourselves presentable to God. It's up to us to just present ourselves to God and let him do the work in our life. But so many of us think we've got to do something to earn God's love. We've got to do something to make salvation happen in our life. But the truth is, what he says is, just present yourself to me. 
Stop trying to make yourself presentable. Stop trying to make yourself worthy of love because you can't be worthy of God's love. You can't be worthy of God's grace and mercy because as soon as we become worthy of it, it ceases to be grace. It ceases to be mercy. And so that's where we kind of landed last week was this idea that we're all invited into God's family. We're all forgiven. And when we present ourselves to God, we become fruitful for his kingdom. The things that we experience, we start expressing out to others. That was verse 1 of chapter 12 last week. And today we're going to look at verse 2 in this idea of now, if we understand salvation and where it comes from, what does it mean to now walk with Christ, to actually begin to live this out in our lives. And so let's look again, Romans 12. I just read one, but let's look at verse 2 when it says there, Romans 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So if you look at that scripture there, there are two words that should jump off the page at you. They even kind of rhyme together, right? Conform and transform. It's these two concepts that Paul in this one verse is laying out two different ideas of what it's like to live life after salvation. It says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. These are kind of two sides to one argument. It's this idea of, if you remember the teeter-totters, like on the playground, you know, it's impossible to have both ends of a teeter-totter on the ground at the same time. Like one side's down, the other side's up. And it's like, if you're going to be conformed to the world, you cannot be being transformed by Christ. It just doesn't happen that way. There's, you have to choose one or the other. It is not this, you know, I remember trying to like level out the thing and like you were never steady and stable. And sometimes that's the way my Christian life feels like. Like when I'm trying to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by Christ, it just creates this instability in my life. And we have to choose one or the other. These two concepts are mutually exclusive. They cannot exist at the same time. You will either be conforming to the world or being transformed by the work of Christ. And we have to embrace one or the other. So I want us to spend some time today really understanding these two concepts. And we'll start with the concept of conforming. So it says, do not be conformed to this world. Conformed here literally means to shape our mind and character to another pattern. That's what it means. It's like you literally are being shaped, molded to some kind of pattern. In this case, he's talking about the pattern of the world. The best word that I can come up with uh, to maybe illustrate it is, is the word imitate. Like we try to become, an, he says, do not become an imitator of the world. When people look at you, they should not see what they would see in the world is literally if you create this mold and you pour something into it, when you remove it from the mold, what's it going to look like? What that mold shaped it to be. And he said, no longer be conformed by the world. Let us not continue to willfully model, shape our lives after desire, practices, and priorities of the world. The, the idea here is that the goals of our lives should no longer be shaped by the pattern of the world, that we must embrace a shift in what we desire and the outcomes of our lives should be. Now, before we go further, I want, there's another word I think we can define and understand here, and it's the world. So it says, do not be conformed to the world. So 
what does what does that mean? Does that mean you know something that we should be in opposition to the to Jesus and, and the term the world? When we hear it taught in Scripture, it's often taught either follow Jesus or follow the world. So what is the world? When we hear that, you know, that we're to love God and hate the world or stop following the things of the world, and we're to not do this and not do that. What exactly is Paul and others' teachings? Many times when I hear this, it comes across like that, that we as Christians should do everything we can to separate ourselves from anything that doesn't have to do with God. So that's sometimes how it's taught. Like, you know, that's of the world, get away. That the world is full of evil people who do evil things, and thus we should, in a manner of speaking, create our own world separate from the world. I've seen, I've seen people operate that way. They, all, they cre- basically create, you know, we have our world here, and then we have, like, Christian world over here, right? And they don't do anything that's not Christian. So they'll, they'll go to a Christian school. They'll go to a Christian church. They play in a Christian basketball league. They play in a Christian this. They do a Christian. What, they only listen to Christian music. Whatever it is, it has to have Christian on the front end. Right? Whatever it may. I'll only go to a Christian hairdresser. I'll only go to a Christian restaurant. Whatever it may be. I don't know. I don't need a Christian hairdresser too much. But, like, whatever it is, we, do, we say, I won't do it unless it's this. Like, Christian mingle. Right? I mean, I won't do a dating site unless it's a Christian dating. Whatever it is, we like to create our separate world. And you know what happens when we do that? We totally lose influence in this world. We lose our ability to impact and influence. So I don't think that's what Paul's teaching here is this separatist mentality. Get out of, if so, let's go find some deserted island and like call it Christian island and let's all just go there, right? I mean, why, why, if that's the case, why haven't we done that? Because that's not what he's teaching here. Because what happens is this, if we embrace that mentality, we end up with a disdain for the people that aren't like us. People that are different beliefs than us. And we create walls, literally and figuratively, that separate us. And this type of thinking doesn't line up with the teachings of Jesus. The world here that he's talking about is not the people of the world, but it's the broken systems of the world that so many of us have embraced in our life. Paul isn't telling us to hate the people of the world, but to not conform to the practices of this world that have since, since the beginning of time created pain, suffering, and injustice. It's like, don't be like these world systems. You know, it, it, it's not conforming to the world means that we should never embrace, here's what it means, we should never embrace the values, convictions, and priorities of a system that works to trivialize and marginalize both God and the creator and his people. We should never embrace a system that trivializes and marginalizes people, our God, the creator. That's what it means when he says, do not conform to the world the way that this system has been set up. Instead, instead of separating ourselves, we should live in the world, but create a different system that does the exact same thing that God did when he came in the form of Christ. Jesus didn't go hide when he came to this world. What did he do? He completely immersed himself in the world. But he created different systems. Systems of love, grace, mercy, hope that people could embrace and see very differently. So I want to be very careful here when we talk about this because 
we're not a church. I don't think that we as believers ought to be this kind of people who create this division, separatist mentality. It's us against them. It is God saying, go be a light. Go be salt. Go be the sweet fragrance in a world that is caught in these broken systems. Help those systems diminish and elevate the systems of God. So what I want us to do is to talk about what is the world system? What, do, what does he tell us not to conform to? So how do we identify these in our life and make sure they aren't there? And there's a passage, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to. It's 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. And this kind of explains more that term, the world, and that idea of the broken systems. And we're going to look at three key ideas out of here. And it says this in 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world, nor the things of in the world. So again, we're not talking about the people. You're saying, don't love the people. That's not what he's saying here. It's the systems that are broken. For if anyone loves the world, and the love, the love of the Father is not in him. And this is the key verse, verse 16. For all that is in the world, and he gives a list here of three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. So let's look at these three, three things he said that are the world systems for us not to embrace this morning. And the first one is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is not just this physical attraction or some kind of sexual idea. It instead deals with this idea of a world system that is built on the idea of self-gratification. That I should live my life with self-gratification at the center. This means that whatever desire we have, we do whatever we want to fulfill it. If I see another person that I'm attracted to, then I'm going to do everything I can to gain that person. That becomes some type of conquest. If I see an experience that I feel will make me feel good, I'll embrace it no matter the consequences to myself or others. Self-gratification is the idea that the world and the people of this world are here to meet my desires. That's what self-gratification is. It leaves no room for sharing, for compromise, for generosity, for anything other than what pleases me. It is literally, the, the image that came to my mind as I was writing this, is that of a vacuum. It literally just goes around and sucks things up, takes what it wants, and never gives back. It just takes, takes, takes. Self-gratification. Imagine what your home, your city your country, your world would be like if we all embraced this concept. We, we're kind of living in it at times, aren't we? We see a world that's sometimes dominated by self-gratification. It's all about what I want at the expense of everyone else. How does this show up in our life? I think it shows up in just a few steps. And first is when we begin to have this entitled spirit. I deserve this. I deserve this. This is mine. This should be mine. We start living with an entitled spirit and we, under, we start thinking God owes me something. We start thinking other people owe me something and I have the right to take it. That's what entitled means. It also shows up when we become thoughtless. When we start living a thoughtless life is I don't care how this impacts other people. I'm going to do this because I deserve it. It just belongs to me and I don't care how it impacts you this person, that person, anybody else. And eventually, still when we do that, we're that vacuum cleaner just sucking everything up. It leads to a life of discontentment. Nothing satisfies us. 
nothing. We go and suck up something and it feels good for a minute. And we go and suck up the night. Never content. Always wanting more. Self-gratification is never fulfilled. Never fulfilled. And that's why it's a broken system. And that's why Paul says, do not conform to that way of thought. Do not walk in your life thinking you are the center of the universe. Because you cannot be the center of the universe because I'm the center of the universe. I mean, that's the way we all think. And like, you can't be because I am. And we all are these center of the universes fighting each other. And that's what self-gratification does. It creates this division and fight between us. That's the lust of the flesh. I want it. It's mine. I'm going to take it. But he says there's a second system that's broken. And it's the lust of the eyes. And the lust of the eyes here is not just looking at things or people of this world with desire. It instead deals with this world system that is built off the idea of personal acquisition. It's much deeper than just desiring something. Here it is. It is this idea that you have the right to personally acquire and own it. The lust of the eyes leads us to thinking that we are the owners of things instead of the stewards of things. And that's a whole concept that God teaches throughout scripture. He blesses us to use that blessing on other people. We're a steward of what he gives us, not necessarily the owner of what he gives us. We should own things, we think, right? Make them ours. This doesn't sound bad in one sense, like we should be property owners, homeowners. That's great. But then we get destructive when we start wanting to own things that aren't ours. Or we start owning things that rightly belong to someone else or things that were never meant to be owned and never meant to be acquired. I mean, we live in a a country now that we couldn't imagine we as people in this sitting in this room, me owning another human being. And that just doesn't, that thought process doesn't jive right now, but yet it's not too long ago with even just our history that we had people owning people. How did we get there? Because of the lust of the eyes, this idea of personal acquisition. I want you, you can be a benefit to me, so I'm going to use you. The lust of the eyes and this personal acquisition literally gets us in this mindset. We start thinking, what can you, how can you benefit me? How can this object benefit me? And we start using people and using things only for our own reward and blessing. Personal acquisition leads to disputes, disagreements, conflicts, and wars. It leads us to assigning value to people based on their ability to acquire things. And Paul says, do not conform to this. Everything becomes a resource to you, no matter how extravagant. Jamal and I went to Cannes Film Festival a few months ago, and uh, we didn't get to experience this personally but one of our friends saw this. There was a guy there, Air Prince, that was there on the beach, right on the Mediterranean. He got hot. He was surrounded by like 20 women. And uh, he decided he was hot. And so he ordered the restaurant to bring out these 40 bottles of Dom Perignon Magnum, $2,000 a bottle. And right there on the beach, they all popped the corks and sprayed him down with a champagne shower of about $80,000 worth of champagne. And we're just like, are you kidding me? And for him, like we were talking afterwards, this is not like we're thinking 80, he's like, that was like $8 to us. Like, you know, $8 to him, you know, just was meaningless to him. Meaningless. It was like pennies 
to him because he just saw it as something to be used, to be extravagant, and to show how powerful he was and how important he was. And we assign value to people like that. And Paul's saying, don't give in to that. Don't conform to that system. And here's how it shows up in our life. It shows up first with greed, right? I want that. I want that. And it starts to consume my thoughts and I can't let it go. And then as we get greedy, it starts to this idea of consumption. I want to take everything in. I want to consume everything. We become consumers instead of givers. And finally, we end up discarding things. If it has no use for me anymore, I get rid of it. And this hurts the worst when it's done with people. When somebody we view as, I've consumed, you can't do anything else for me, so I just discard you. You've seen it happen in marriages. You've seen it happen in families. You've seen it happen in friendships. You've seen it happen in work relationships where we just live by this idea of personally acquiring things. And when I don't need it anymore, I throw it in the trash. And we do that with people. And Paul says, stop. That's not us. The third thing is this. The third thing he lists there in that passage is the pride of life. And the pride of life is not just thinking of yourself first. It instead deals with this world system that is built on the idea of unjust expectations. The pride of life isn't just having pride in your own life and the accomplishments of your life. It is instead thinking that your life, your desires, your needs, your accomplishments, your perspective, your whatever is not just important, but more important than anyone else. And see, and that's a shift. It's not that we just think it's important. Because maybe your perspective and your understanding is. But when we start thinking it's more important than anybody else's, or that we're more right than anybody else, that's when we start to live by these unjust expectations. It's this unjust expectation that everyone should accommodate me, but yet you have no responsibility or desire to accommodate anyone else. Everyone should bend to you. You're never willing to bend or compromise to anyone else. We can't bear it when someone confronts us on an issue or challenges us on our perspective, but we're certainly willing to give our opinion and our perspective on where they're wrong and where they need to change. And so unjust expectations leads us to elevate ourselves at the expense of others. We see somebody that disagrees with us, and what do we do? We distance ourselves. I am so sick of Facebook in this political environment. <laughs> I'm just, like, I, oh, you're this supporter? I'm going to unfriend you. You're this, you know, you made this comment? But, you know, I'm just like, really? You can't be friends with somebody who disagrees with you? Is that like the new world system that we live in? I don't, and that's what he's saying. This is where that leads. And Paul's saying, get away from that. Do not conform to that. And this shows up in our life when we start to live by conceit. That I alone know what's best. That's what conceit says. I alone knows what's best. And when we live that way, we start to then have division. And I can't be around you. And then we start to have malice toward other people. It's not that I just can't be around you, but I actually want bad to happen to you. Right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever had that thought process in your life. <laughs> Especially maybe this week. I mean, we, we, we Just think about how quickly we go from like, no, it's my way or the highway. And if you don't agree with me, you shouldn't be around me. And as a matter of fact, when you're not around me, I'm hoping some bad things happen to you so you learn your lesson and you agree with me, right? I mean, that's, it's so easy 
to think that way. Such an easy trap to fall into. And Paul's saying, stop it. Do not conform to that. Don't give in to these unjust expectations, to this self-gratification and this idea of personal acquisition, just getting what I can. Set aside the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And then he tells us to do something else, the other side of the teeter-totter, and it's to be transformed. And before I talk about transformed, I want, if I was writing this, in my, my initial understanding of Christianity, here's what I would have said. Do not be conformed to the world. Instead, instead be conformed to the ways of God. Right? That would seem to make sense. Don't be conformed to this. Instead, pattern your life after God. And I'm so thankful he didn't say that. Because whose hands did that put the work of God in? It puts it in my hands again, right? It's up to you to live this way. And this is why we have to have a shift in the concept of what it means to follow Christ. Instead, we think, okay, I don't need to conform to the world. Instead, I need to conform to his ways. But that isn't what Paul says. He doesn't say be conformed. Don't be conformed to the world, but be conformed to God because that's impossible. I can't be like God. I am not God. If all I ever try to do is conform to his ways, then I want to tell you something. I will fail. You will fail. I'll give up. I'll grow apathetic, and eventually I'll see Christianity as simply another failed attempt to establish some new rules to make the world better. And that's not what Christianity is. It's not this new set of rules. Instead, it is to be transformed. And that's what he says, to be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. This is a radical concept that makes Christianity different than other religions. Most other world religions tell you to conform to their rules, But as a Christ follower, our lives themselves are transformed when we surrender to his love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And instead of imitating, here's the word that I think most represents transformation. It's illuminating. It's allowing the light to come into us and shine through us. That's what transformation is. It's not molding and shifting and changing our exterior It is illuminating the love, grace, mercy of Christ. There's something inside of you that's shifted, something inside of you that's different, that can't help but make its way out in your life. Allowing him into the innermost person, into your core, and in doing so, the things of Christ begin to shine and illuminate our lives and illuminate the lives of those around us. We are literally being transformed from the inside out by our creator. There happens to be a verse that says, I love what it says, by the renewing of your minds. What this literally means changing how we think. Instead of embracing the world's way of thinking and what we just talked about, it's embracing a way the things of God to consume our thoughts and our minds. And we literally develop a new world perspective. Let me read this verse to you as we close with this thought. Philippians 4, 8, it says this, Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It said, stop being consumed with the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. Instead, think on things that are true and honorable. 
things that elevates true satisfaction over gratification. Think about things that are just and pure, things that elevate peace instead of acquisition. Think about things that are lovely and commendable, things that elevate grace instead of expectation that we put on people. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy that actually elevate God instead of ourselves. Think about these things. My question to do today is this. Are you conforming or transforming? Are you trying to imitate or illuminate? Even conforming to the way of God is not the command here. It's trying again to go back to what we talked about last week. Stop trying to make yourself presentable to God and just present yourself to God. So will you stop today imitating the world and their desire for self-gratification, acquisition, and unjust expectations? And would you even stop trying to impress God by conforming to his ways? And instead, would you change how you think? Would you allow your mind to focus on the things of God and think about those things so that it gets deep into your soul and begins to illuminate your soul and begins to shine out to other people? When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's telling you right in that moment, there is a light, an illumination inside of you that comes through a relationship with him that cannot be extinguished, that cannot be hidden, and it only comes when we surrender to him. It is this beautiful idea, amazing concept, that no matter where we've been, what we've done, what has happened in our life up to this point in this very day, there is nothing that can hide that light of transformation. Would you pray with me?